Hey, everybody. I'm excited to announce that my upcoming book, This Becoming Free, is available for pre-sale. And it's going to be out on April 16th. If you don't want to pre-order it and uh, get it, you want to be the first people to get it because you're the hardcore. You listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> you can come and see us on tour. Gungermusic.com slash tour. It's the Gunger Farewell Tour that's going to be starting this next week. Going from Michigan down through the Midwest into Texas. And then there's going to be a West Coast leg into the beginning of May. And if you go to that, we'll have some of the books at the table that you can get and get it signed. And and we can both pretend like we're separate beings. (laughs) But I do hope that you'll get the book. If you enjoyed this podcast, this book is um, sort of like what this podcast is built around and up to. So this podcast is sort of supplementary to the book, actually. Just wanted to let you know about this. This, this, on this podcast. (laughs) All right, enjoy the podcast. All people... Uh, when you obey God's word that was built by slaves, and I watch my daughters. There is nobody that respects women more than I do. This love of crisis, This. Imagine that you are on a jury and you have been tasked with determining the innocence or guilt of a woman who has been charged with assault. Thankfully, the evidence in this trial is clear and undisputed. In fact, there is video evidence showing exactly what happened. In the video, the defendant is seen slumped over, unconscious at a bar, after having had too much to drink and passing out. To the defendant's right sits a gigantic bald man. To her left sits a tiny mustached man. You can see the two beginning to argue in the video. The defendant remains slumped over. And then suddenly, the bald man pushes the woman, the slumped over drunk, into the mustached man. The mustached man falls over, hits his head on the bar, gets a concussion. The video stops. The prosecutor rests his case, saying, see? It was clearly the body of the woman who did the damage to the mustached man. She is guilty of assault. How would you respond to such charges? If you were a good juror, you would determine that it was not the fault of the woman that her body caused harm to another human being. It was the bald man who had pushed her into the mustached man. And so it was the bald man who should be held responsible. She did not decide by her free will to harm anyone. She was unconscious. That seems like a simple enough case, pretty open and shut. But what if you found out some more information about the gigantic bald man that did the pushing? What if you found out that the bald man was a POW who had been subjected to torture and brainwashing And that what had happened at that bar was that the mustached man had intentionally triggered 
the bald man into a dissociative episode, rendering him with a very real diminished capacity to control himself. What do you think? Is he guilty? When we can perceive that people don't have full control over their bodies, whether they are unconscious, of diminished capacity, or even if they are a minor, we don't judge their culpability in the same way as others. We can see how their actions weren't necessarily their fault. That woman was unconscious. What could she have done? The bald man lost control of his mind. What could he have done? But one thing that we rarely ask in a court of law Does anybody actually have free will? That's not a question the justice system wants to entertain, because if people don't have control of their own actions, then how can they be held accountable? And if they can't be held accountable, then how could our society possibly function? We can't just have people running around doing whatever the hell they want to do moment to moment, you know, the purge style, for 365 days a year. So we kind of have to believe in free will. We kind of have to assume that people can act differently than they're acting. Otherwise, how can we coexist with each other? But, you know, just because something is useful, and even because it feels like it's real, doesn't mean it's true. Maybe I'll ask my mom if she believes in free will. Hello? Hi, Mom. Can you hear me? Oh, my ears aren't good, buddy. Can you... uh... Can you answer a question for me for my podcast again? Oh my gosh, I don't know the answers, but maybe. Is it a big question? It's a pretty big question. Do do human beings have free will? Yeah. Why do you think so? Well, because we can make our own decisions for our lives. Don't you think that? Not really, but that's what this whole podcast well, is about. Why not? Well, why not? Well, why not indeed? FYI, I did go on to explain some of why I don't think free will, as we tend to think of it, is anything but a useful, illusory construct. But I think I could do better with some edits and music behind me, you know, making me sound smarter than I am. Questions pertaining to assumptions about unencumbered human agency, or so-called free will, predate even the early Greek Stoics and lie at the center of that primordial ache that is, who am I? And while it may be arguable that such a question can never be satisfactorily answered, given that it can never be asked or considered outside the fundamental matrix in which the very question arises similarly to how an eyeball can never see itself, it would be my contention that the concept of free will necessitates the construction of a mythic, separate subject that stands over and against the rest of the universe. And from this vantage point, such a construct is nothing but an illusion built on an attachment. Okay, I just wanted to give you a level 10 pretentiousness for a second so that when we get into the following esoteric analogy time, that it will seem almost down to earth. Esoteric analogy time. Esoteric analogy time. Esoteric analogy time. It's the time for esoteric analogies. Let me ask you a question. Is water wet? Could liquid water be anything other than wet? No. If it were something other than wet, it wouldn't be water, right? Could 
water ever have been something other than wet in the past? Or could it someday be something other than wet in the future? Again, if we were talking about water, then no. Water is wetness. The two go together. Okay, let me ask you another question. Could you be something other than what you are right now? Maybe your initial feeling would be yes. That maybe you could feel like you could choose to behave in a different way than you are behaving right now. But that behavior would not be right now, would it? Like that change of behavior that you're imagining would be what was happening then. That would be the, the new now. And in that moment of changed behavior, could you be anything other than what you are in that moment? Can you be doing something that you're not doing? Have you ever done anything other than what you've done? Has anything happened other than what has happened? Of course not. That's ridiculous. Still, most of us experience the world not as it is in this moment, but instead as a set of stories about what it has been and what it could or should be. The human mind has this amazing ability to imagine a world other than it is. You've never seen a pink elephant, but you can imagine one. A human being can see a tree and imagine a world where that tree turns into a canoe or a house or a guitar. This has been a very useful skill for human beings, but it also comes with this strange side effect of feeling like the world that we currently live in could have been different if only we had, you know, chosen to build the canoe rather than the guitar. But in that moment that we chose to build the guitar rather than the canoe, could we really have done anything differently than what we did? Again, have you ever done anything that you didn't do? Has anything ever happened that didn't happen? Could we really have felt differently, thought differently, behaved differently than we were in that very moment of the decision? Let me ask you again, friend. Can water be anything but wet? This has been Esoteric Analogy Time with Michael Gunger. Thank you for listening. Esoteric and For most people, we are getting firmly into the who-gives-a-shit realms of philosophy now. I mean, after all, why does it matter if we have free will or not? All of us with imaginations who make decisions between competing thoughts and desires would testify that it at least feels like we have free will. Even if we are programmed code in some alien's laptop with no free will whatsoever, the code is pretty good at allowing us to feel like we have the ability to choose one action over another. So who cares? And on some level, I agree. It doesn't matter 
Not really. But I do think that our assumptions about free will can be intrinsically tied to our experience of reality. After all, how much do we suffer because the world is as it is, as opposed to how we wish that it was? If I only had gone to that school, if I had only broken up with my boyfriend sooner, if that person wouldn't have done that thing to me, if my free will had been enacted in a different way. Or on the other side of things, how often do we waste energy worrying about tomorrow? Will I say the right thing? Will I make the right decision? What if this or that happens rather than what I want? All of that kind of thinking has free will in the equation somewhere. Believing that things could be different than they are right now. That water could be something other than wet. That you could be something other than you. So many of us live our lives not at home in this moment. Not okay with this. Suffering because we're clinging to our desire for that. And I wonder how differently would your life feel if you believed it was absolutely perfect? And maybe that sounds problematic to you. Because, you know, what about all the things that are wrong with the world? Poverty and white supremacy, patriarchy and the like. Well, how do you feel about those things right now? What is your experience of racism right now? Do you want it to exist? Do you want people to be unfairly treated because of the color of their skin? I'm guessing probably not. And you know what? That is part of the perfection. Your resistance to the world is part of the perfection of the world. But maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Maybe we haven't dug far enough down into free will to see if it really is real or not. How about a thought exercise? Try to do something right now that's only because of your free will. Like, just pick a random action and do it freely. It could be twirling your hair, singing a low tone, whatever. It doesn't matter. Just try something right now that's only out of your free will. Okay, did you do it? All right, so let's think about that for a second. Why did you decide to do what you did? Or maybe you tried to get clever with it and didn't pick an action. Or maybe you're just lazy and didn't do it. <laughs> Even that, though. Why didn't you do anything? What happened that made you either act or not act? I would imagine that for many of you, there was some thoughts involved. Maybe sort of a multiple choice scenario popped into your mind. Oh, I could do this. I could wiggle my finger or I could stomp my foot. And then at some point you had an experience of choosing. You picked this thought over that thought. But where did those thoughts come from? How did that happen? <laughs> and I don't mean what areas of the brain lit up 
because you know that question is answerable. You could go to a brain scanner and say, well, this part of the brain lit up when you thought that thought. But that doesn't really answer the question that I'm asking. What, after all, made that part of the brain light up? Who did that? I mean, if I tap on this microphone right now, the question of what made that happen is answerable. There's this guy on the other end of this microphone that tapped on the microphone, and you heard the sound. So who lit up your brain? Even that phrase, your brain, who is the you that has the brain, that thinks the thought, that makes decisions? And maybe the obvious answer feels like me, I did. But who is that? (laughs) Where is that person that's not your brain, that's not your body? that's doing the lighting up of the neurons. We may think that the thought that arises, I'll wiggle my finger now, is just coming from a me that is somehow this self-contained reality. But of course that's not the case, because that thought of whatever you thought you were going to do spontaneously only happened because you were listening to this podcast and I asked you to do something. That request was then filtered through all sorts of other stories in which you whittled down the vast interconnected set of events that led to you doing whatever you did, including my prompt for you to do something, including all of your previous experiences and language and constructs that made you think of something like, I'll wiggle my finger. And somehow your brain told the story that that was your choice, your idea your thought. But thoughts don't originate in you. They don't even originate in your body. Think about it. Thoughts are made up of words and images. And where do you think you got those words and images from, if not the, quote, outside world? All the thoughts any of us have ever had are completely rooted in our culture, our language, our memories of previous experiences. That's all stuff that happened theoretically out there. And then my internal world responds, not as something separate from the outside world, but as a part of it. How and when any of these thoughts happen in my brain has nothing to do with some sort of conscious observer self, a subject that is separate from any of it, making something happen. These thoughts happen spontaneously in response to something else. There is no you to conjure up some sort of original thought that's not just a ripple from your environment. Otherwise, you could just conjure up whatever you wanted, right? If you really had free will to create thoughts then please, right now, think of the cure for cancer. But that's not how our thoughts work. They're ripples in an ocean. And who's doing the rippling? The ocean. Okay, the skeptic says, maybe right now, okay, maybe the thoughts just kind of happen. But somebody's got to choose which thought to go with. Right? I mean, that's really 
the free will piece when we get down to it. Everybody's got crazy thoughts, things that we think of while we're driving down the street or whatever. It's like, where did that come from? We all, we all kind of know that. But then what about the chooser? When we say, there's this thought, I could dwell on it. There's this thought, I could act on that. But let's think about that too. How do you choose? Of course, the experience of deciding can take all sorts of forms. You can feel like you're using your rational mind. You can feel like you're going with your gut. You could use some sort of computer randomizer to pick for you. But all of that is just pushing the underlying philosophical problem back one space. After all, how did you decide to use the computer randomizer in your decision process? Or to trust logic or your gut? If you look at it closely enough, you'll see that it's just something that happened. Just like everything else. Think about just like moving your hand for a second. Go ahead and wiggle your fingers. How the hell are you doing that? (laughs) How are you doing that? Can you think about how that works? How can you make your body wiggle your fingers? You just kind of do it, right? It's not, you don't consciously say this muscle, now you move and this tendon fire electricity through the spinal column and send it up to this part of the brain. It doesn't work that way. You don't think it all through with language. Neither our thoughts nor our choices are muscled up, conjured from the ego. They happen, and then the ego takes credit for it. (laughs) They appear like gifts from the gods. Of course, they're not from nowhere. They're from the depths of our bodies and our unconscious mind and our experiences and the world around us is all tied together. And our unconscious mind has a lot more going on than our conscious mind does. Your unconscious body mind knows how to keep your heart beating. It knows how to grow toenails and mend your skin when you get cut. It knows how to grow a brain for crying out loud. It did it. Do you, your conscious mind, know how to do that? Of course not. If you think about it, you have no more control of the thoughts that pop into your head than you do the heart beating in your chest. You don't think about making your heart beat. You don't consciously make your heart beat. In fact, your heartbeat helps give rise to the thoughts that think about the heartbeat, (laughs) to the body that keeps the heart beating. Where's all of it coming from? Where does it originate? All right, one more thought example. I mentioned the pink elephant before. So what I'd like you to do right now is to not picture a pink elephant. Don't do it. Don't picture anything to do with that giant pink elephant with its bright purple birthday hat tied to his head or those giant red shoes on that pink elephant's feet. Don't see any of that in your mind. Don't picture him standing up on his fat pink legs, waving his long trunk around the air. Don't do it. (laughs) Okay, or one more. Try picking up an object 
you don't have to do this if you don't want. Maybe you're already sold. But if you're still a little holding on to your sense of self having free will, <laughs> try grabbing something, an object that you could drop, a pencil, a piece of paper or something. Okay, now in a moment, you're going to drop it and really believe that it won't hit the ground. Like make yourself legitimately surprised that the dropped item hits the ground. You can't do that. You can't believe that the object will not hit the ground when you drop it. You can try to force yourself to believe it, but it's going to be hard to get a legitimate surprise. Like, whoa, I can't, I can't believe it actually fell. It's because you don't, <laughs> you, what you think you are, that story, that sense of I telling that story moment to moment that ties together all of your actions as a sense of self does not take its cues for its deepest held beliefs and assumptions from that story of who you think you are from your conscious sense of I, the body's not <laughs> checking in with the ego to assume if a pen is going to hit the ground, if you drop it or not, somebody throws a ball at your face your body's not waiting for your conscious mind to agree that the laws of physics are going to continue and its trajectory is going to hit you or miss you. Your body does its calculations, whatever it does unconsciously and moves out of the way or puts a hand up or whatever it does. The point is it's not you who you think you are that does anything. Any thought, that pops into your head is not a result of your free will. Any action that your body takes as a result of those thoughts, therefore, is also not a result of free will. Because these thoughts and actions are not untethered from the rest of reality as free agents. Even the thought that some of you may be thinking, no, this guy is wrong, I have free will. It's not a free thought. It's in English for crying out loud. Those words didn't come from you, your ego, that story. The thoughts, I am a free agent. I am a person with free will. That's something that your society crafted in your brain. Because it's a very useful assumption. An assumption that allows human beings to have justice systems and make canoes. And to be clear, I'm not quite casting my vote for determinism either. I'm not saying that you are nothing but a billiard ball bouncing around on a table because of the physics at play when the first billiard ball was struck. Because I don't think that's quite right either. But we'll talk about that on another podcast sometime. But in short, I'm not saying that you're a thing that has free will or doesn't at all. What I'm getting at is what I'm always getting at on this podcast, which is, who is the you that it's separate from anything else? Even though the, quote, decisions that are made about whether you turn left or right, whether you order the salad or the cheeseburger, do feel and seem to be localized in your body, that decision was not an isolated event. It was simply everything 
being what it is and coming to peace with what it is with who you are is to be free a life that is not spent in futility chasing that which does not exist in yesterdays and tomorrows but instead fully alive in and as this not clinging and striving to change the world with your free will but instead to freely cooperate with the flow of reality not in an apathy or a complacency but in a letting go a surrender letting go of identifying with that constriction that story of who you think you are and of all the suffering that comes with it from the quantum events that continue to create sustain your body from nanosecond to nanosecond to the spin of the galaxy you came into being within you have no control of anything you that small you that thinks of yourself as a thing among things no control whatsoever that person that you think you are that feels like you have free will is just a story being told by a brain being told by an earth being told by a galaxy being told by what god this there's only one of us and she is the one doing all of it I know all of this can sound pretty esoteric and out there for a lot of people, but it really is quite simple when you boil it down. It's just this. <laughs> it's all it is. It's this without all the stories that constrict it into something less than this. The idea of free will sometimes leads us to shame and to fear and to self-hatred because we wish we had decided something else. But to hold the story of free will a little bit more loosely is to hold the idea of self a little bit more loosely. And when you do that, you can be free. Free to see that it all belongs, even our desire for some things to not belong. <laughs> it's wild, right? I mean, this is the joke of existence, the paradox at the heart of it all. You see it stated so many different ways in so many different traditions. Void is form, and form is void. The Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. Whoever will save his life shall lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Or, what's the sound of one hand clapping? It all... <laughs> It all just points to the joke that there's something else other than this happening. That there's somebody else other than the all. 
It's all just peekaboo, hide and seek, love pouring itself out, forgetting itself, discovering itself. And when you can see the joke, when you can see the play, you can see that there is nothing to worry about. There's nothing to choose, not really, not at the bottom of all of it. There is nothing to try to change or to fix or to strive for. Because deep down, it's already all perfect. This is. I am. This breath. This heartbeat. This thought. This clarity. There's no one thinking the thoughts, beating the heart, being clear. If you look close enough, you can see there's nothing happening. It's just the music. It's just the game, the joke, the love, the experience of free will, the appearance of a world, of a you, of a me of any of it. If that's making you feel uncomfortable at all, that's the ego not wanting to let go. And you know what? That's perfectly fine. Because that's part of it too. So love whatever is clinging, whatever is suffering, whatever is under the illusion of doing. Because perhaps as you can find some yes to sneak in to that cycle of no, some openness to insert into that pattern of clinging. And in this moment, you can breathe freely, beloved, knowing that this is all there is. I'm not calling you Vishnu ever. That's fine. I'm not doing that. <laughs> not doing it. Don't even talk about it. I think you better just uh, drop it. Just drop it. Just have it in a secret place, you know? Like yeah. my name was Daily Rayleigh. <laughs> Daily Rayleigh <laughs> the Curly Paley. <laughs> Uh...